Amen. Praise the Lord. That was, uh, that was such a great time. We had over 50 couples, 50-some couples that came out Friday night, and so we, we got to have our sweetheart date night after all, after it had been, after it'd been rescheduled, and it was such a great time. And uh, I know you won't want to miss it when we do it again. I was such a good time. I made the comment in the last service that I thought that maybe we ought to do this every year, just be an annual thing. And Brandon immediately fainted. And he fainted and praised the Lord for smelling salts. Or was that Brandy? Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The, the worship this service was great. And, uh, and especially when you can end with... You know, the song they let us in, that last song they let us in about God being faithful. I mean, let me just tell you about God's faithfulness, because we are 11 months in, so we started meeting back in person again, I think May 21st. I want to I say it was that, so we're about 11 months down the road, and, and we've had no outbreaks because of our services. We have no outbreaks because of kids, kids uh, you know, services, Sunday school. I mean, that's God's faithfulness. None of the events that we've had, and I can, I mean, I cannot say that about any other church I know, actually, of churches that we kind of run with. I mean, that's not been the case for almost all other churches, and so God has, God has been faithful. I want you to be praying with me that we will be faithful to his faithfulness, so you won't want to miss if we do the sweetheart dance again, but also here's another thing you will not want to miss. You know, we had baptisms a couple of Sundays ago, and, uh, and, and, and um, uh, Alonzo, uh, you know, did the baptisms, and he did such a great job that almost immediately people started saying, well, I want to get baptized too. And uh, so we've had two or three people already, which, I, you know, I praise the Lord. This is, again, this God's faithfulness. Such a momentum of what the Holy Spirit may be doing in people's lives that we have individuals who say, you know, I, I regret now missing that last one. Can you, know, can you do this again? And so Brett has agreed to set things up. So we have our you know, system set up with actually warm water. And uh, we can do that May 1st. So you won't want to miss that. And especially if you are born again and you want to make that step and, and get baptized, then let us know. Uh, come up here and let us know after the service or sign up online and uh, May 1st we'll plan on doing that. You won't want to miss that. You will not want to miss our all-church retreat because it, it, will be, it will be the sweetheart date night, only it will be four days, three nights, and nine meals of it. I mean, it's going to be great. And it's only for $160 per adult right now, if you register right now. $160 per adult, and your children go free. Uh, uh, we, and we've done this every year I've been here. I mean, that's just my commitment. Your kids are going to go free. They can come free. And if you would like to contribute to kids being able to do that, uh, you can designate to the Focus Fund, and the Focus Fund will go toward doing that uh, uh, between now and All Church Retreat. And so we'll have that time together. And, and I know that you won't want to send your kids without you being there, because really it's just two work days, Thursday and Friday. And so, um, you know, I know you can do that and be with your kids. And Jenny's going to be back. She's going to be taking care of the kids. Her amazing team will work with our kids again, three years old up to fifth grade. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a great time. Now, um, I'm going to ask you here in a second to stand up and uh, us to have a word of prayer. 
And I, you know, I hardly ever, I think, uh, I, at least I don't feel like I very often elicit sympathy for myself. You know, if I don't feel well, well, usually people don't know that. You know, if allergies hit and I cough, well, I apologize for that. But uh, otherwise, you know, I don't elicit too much uh, pity, I hope. But, I mean, today is the kind of day where expert voices would tell me, do not give your people a complex Sunday. Don't give them a complicated Sunday. And, uh, you know, all the sermons have to stay really simple. Now, you know, that's what they say today. And, of course, that would mean that either um, I'm always giving you a dumbed-down Bible, or else I am giving you a select Shelby edition of excerpts with all the complicated, you know, meat trimmed away. And uh, so I just want to prepare you in advance. This is not that Sunday. And I, and I don't know if I've looked forward to Revelation uh, 16 and 17, but it was next in line. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to trust the Lord for us getting through this today. So go ahead and stand and let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you today for your faithfulness. And Lord, with regard to this passage, you have led us to at this point, out of which we will see truth for our own end times. Uh, Lord, I know that your people are up to it, or you would not have written it. We can understand it, otherwise you would not have written it. And, and it's one of those passages that gives us something we always need to keep in the back of our mind because of how serious eternal life is and how precious the death of the Son of God was on our behalf. So Lord, be with us today as we look into this passage, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible, turn to Revelation 16. When we see God unleashed, what does that reveal? Well, for one thing, and as incomprehensible a mystery as it may be, what we see was that part of God's nature was poured out on God's Son as Christ became sin for us when he hung on the cross. And he had to become sin, become cursed, so that he could receive the penalty which we actually deserve. But secondly, it reveals what awaits the sinner who rejects that redemption. And that is why our ministry, yours and mine, has a name. And I want to show it to you if you turn your hand out over and look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Our ministry together has a name. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the, here's the name, the ministry of reconciliation. You know, third, we also see this side of God, right now here in Revelation 16, in the midst of a world gone wild. That will be after the church is raptured, after we are removed from this planet, because the church is Christ's body and Christ's bride. So after that, the Antichrist is revealed. So Paul asks in Hebrews 10, verses 29 to 31, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace? Well, we're going to see in these two chapters exactly the sore punishment that falls, verse 30, for we know 
Him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So today we're going to see events that are at the very end. And the end of God's long-suffering, and the end of God's patience, and the end of the dispensation of grace being offered to you right now. Because it's the events at the end of the tribulation. It's the end of the wait for him to finally step in and make everything right. But exactly how does he do that? Well, he does that with seven vials being decanted of God's wrath. Watch, verse 1. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour your vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image, and that is the place we stopped at last time. So verse 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. So this is a reprise of the plagues poured out on Egypt under Moses. So that Old Testament story in Exodus becomes a Bible type picturing New Testament truth. And if you filled out the study guide we gave you last Sunday and all the stuff that we gave you and and you did that particular study, well, you saw that. Verse uh, 4, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be. Because thou hast judged thus. So now both salt water and fresh water are polluted. And this is not just climate change. This is judgment. Because here's our thesis for today's study. Judgment is an expression of God's righteousness in support of his holy standard. Isaiah 5 verse 16 says, But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. And God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. So his long-suffering suffers long, but it does not suffer forever. And since God's holiness cannot lower itself to accommodate sin, well then we have to either rise up to meet his standard, or we have to get a substitute who has met that standard for us. Once we get in Christ and the Holy Spirit gets in us, then just like Ephesians 5 verse 9 says, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness. When we're able to replace the sins of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit as we walk in the Spirit and we walk after the Spirit. So this is still truth for our own end times. If you receive Jesus today, if you get saved, the standard has been met for you forensically because God declares you to be righteous, justified by your faith in what Christ has done. The standard then starts being met by you, not just legally but literally, as you walk by the faith of the Son of God in this life. But the world at the time of Revelation 16 has not only rejected Christ, they have lent their worship to the Antichrist. And once you choose him as your God, you're going to get what your God gets in the end. And since the beast will be judged by God, those who follow him will be judged as well. That's what we're seeing here. Now what justifies this kind of awful judgment? Well, verse 6. 
For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. They are worthy of having that turned right back to them. So before you get your mask in a wad, you need to recognize, this is Galatians 6, verses 7 to 9. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So, back to Revelation 16, verse 7. I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. God never judges unrighteously. I mean, uh, people have objection to what God did on Sodom and Gomorrah, but did you ever listen to the conversation that Abraham had with him ahead of hand? And Abraham says, Look, shall not the God of all the earth do right? Well, yes, he absolutely will. Is anybody going to go to hell that should not? No, it's not going to happen. So Abraham's like, Well, if there are 50 righteous, will you spare the whole city? Okay, yeah, sure. Well, about 40 righteous. How about 30 righteous? He gets down to 10 because I'm sure he thinks, well, at least Lot, his wife and his daughters, have led someone else to worship God, the true God. Well, it turned out that hadn't happened like that, but God did at least save them and got them out before the fire fell. But eventually the fire falls, and it's not done unrighteously or unfair. So verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. I mean, you may think it's hot with climate change. Verse 9, and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And now America finally realizes this isn't a political issue, isn't Democrats or Republicans' fault. They fully recognize this is God's fault. God has this in for us. <coughs> now you would think, because this is God's intermediate purpose, you would think that they would recognize all of this as a mercy, causing them to get right with God. But once that wicked one is revealed, and they receive his mark, then the miracles of the false prophet are going to work in exactly the way Paul describes. If you look on your handout at 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. That's how they will work, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all may be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And this is our first point for study. If the love of God does not bring you to repentance, then the judgment of God is only going to harden your heart. I mean, it's either melt or be broken. It's either soften your heart or God will, God will harden it. I mean, you can complain against what God did against Pharaoh all you want, but before it ever says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, a pharaoh hardened his own. So once they take the mark of the beast, and they get that vaccination, they are infected with deception. Have you not seen people today who when they see the consequences of their actions or their attitudes, you know, they really ought to be submissive, and they ought to be sorrowful, and they ought to repent, and they ought to want to change I mean, they ought to want to get better, but pride deceives them and they break bad. 
Verse 10, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of, of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. So the brew that is in this fifth bowl is blinding darkness. And God is now in a time of night operations. And we know from the story of creation, that is when God does his best work overnight. You know, sometimes, sometimes people ask me, well, do you believe in six 24-hour days? God worked. God did creation six 24-hour days. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the evening and the morning, well, that was the first day. God worked the evening through that God worked the night shift. And that was, so no, I kind of believe in 12 hours. God worked the night shift and he's doing that again right here. And as he does that, it'll be so bad, it drives them to self-mutilation, which we see in some religions even today. And instead of calling on God, they cuss him. Watch verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, and the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So Daniel talks about four kings and ten kings and another king who subdues three of the ten, which leaves seven plus him, and he being the eighth. And among that number is a king of the north, Daniel says, in, in Daniel chapter 8, coming down from Russia, a king of the south, coming up from Egypt. And just like today, the outlier in global politics is China. North Korea, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, the unaligned kings of the east. But the king of all of these kings is ready to return and make us kings and priests to reign with him. So, God's judgment sets even the sun on fire. When the resulting drought dries up the Euphrates River, well, that sets up a land bridge directly from the Orient to the Middle East, so even when God judges, it brings about his purpose. And his purpose right at this point is to gather together all those armies at Armageddon. Watch verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, or the hill of Megiddo, which overlooks the Jezreel Valley about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Now, the next time we go to Israel and we take an LFBI, a living faith trip to Israel, you, will be, you can join us. You will be able to join us as we go. And one of the things, stops that we make is Mount Carmel. It's not far away from there. And then also the top of Megiddo. And you'll be able to see. Look over the valley. We can point out to you the five entrances to the valley. One for each army. Because it'll be like it was back in Genesis. Abraham against the five kings. And, and so we will, we will be able to look at that spot. Joel calls this. The prophet Joel calls it the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And a valley of decision, because the name itself means Jehovah judges. God is making sure that each army 
keeps that appointment. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, became a great voice out of the temple of heaven. And he talks about an earthquake. And this is such an earthquake that verse 20 says, islands fled away and mountains were not found. And then verse 21, there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blaspheme God. You know, currently, all of our earthquakes are local. We've never had on this planet an earthquake that, it, that wasn't simply local, even as bad as it may have been. But in this one, the very planet itself starts vomiting and going into convulsions. And what happens with that? Well, something happens which occurs very rarely today. And that is when the clouds are driven so far up into the stratosphere that hail weighing a hundred pounds is formed. And except for the remnant who have not taken the mark of the beast and are being hidden by God and are being led, fed, and protected, except for that remnant, humanity keeps cursing and blaspheming God in rebellion. But you know what? God knew that we and John need a break right now at this point. We need to take a break. We need to move from the seven spill bowls to look at a lady in red. So God takes us back to Babylon, capital of the earth. Only God knows the future. And in Revelation, he unveils it. So God shows the Apostle John five things about the scarlet harlot of imperial Roman religion. Anybody want to hear this? Just give me the hang loose sign. Just, just hang loose. Okay, I'll even take paralysis as consent. You may be hanging so loose that you can't even give me a sign. So, first off, notice if you will, this scarlet harlot, number one of imperial religion, has a mysterious character. Verse 1, chapter 17. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, not come up hither, because he's already up there, but come hither, now I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Okay, those waters are a metaphor defined in verse 15 as a multitude of ethnic groups, sovereign nations, and languages. And a whore in the Bible was three things. I mean, she was a prostitute, obviously, uh, just like today. But she was also a woman unfaithful to her mate, like we see with Hosea and Gomer. But in addition to all that, these women were trafficked as part of the religions of ancient idolatry. And in that sense, they're even called holy. Because these particular prostitutes belong to the temple and to that God. And so God will deal with the commercial aspect of the Antichrist empire in chapter 18. But here in chapter 17, he addresses the religious aspect. Look at verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made to drink, drunk with the wine of her fornication. So, so he carried me in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So the scarlet harlot has the character of ancient mystery religions, 
So in this chapter, God lays out for us the pathology of religiosity. And he starts tracing the lineal descent from pagan Rome down to papal Rome. And then on the other hand, this scarlet harlot, this is number two, of imperial religion has mischievous kids. Verse 5, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. So this is Mystery Babylon, which is something God is ready to reveal about Babylon, which we need to understand. It is a picture of a woman unfaithful to her husband and facilitating false worship riding on the back of a red beast. The city itself is Rome, as we see in verse 9. And by connecting this to the next chapter, the colors match pagan Rome. You know, in pagan Rome, their standard was the eagle. Well, this woman's symbol is a golden chalice, and her colors match the imperial church founded by Constantine, built literally on the back of or over the temples of the demonic divination in Rome. It's the devil's counterfeit religion for the devil's counterfeit kingdom. She is the mother of harlots because she sits on many waters. And, you know, the Catholic Church is nothing if not a chameleon in in the way that she approaches adapting her idolatry to particular localities that that she occupies. And you can see that if if you go to a church on the west side and then go to a Catholic church in the suburbs. Or you go to a Catholic church here in Blue Springs but then visit a Catholic church in Latin America, or in Italy itself, or in the Middle East. But wait, because to call the name Babylon takes it all the way back to the Tower of Babel, where idolatry first began. And it was there that this system with the Queen of Heaven was set up, and wafers for the Mass, and burning incense. How do I know? Because Jeremiah 7... And Jeremiah 44, tell me so. And since the Catholic Mass, in that Mass, the laity is not allowed the cup. And, you know, they're given the wafers or the host once it's consecrated in order to eat it. But the drink offering is not drunk by the worshipers. For them, it is poured out of a golden chalice into the mouth of the priest as a drink offering. So let me explain what's happening in verse 5. Today we call it code switching. And code switching is when you are at work and you're talking with your colleagues in very professional and kind of buttoned up voice. But then your mom or your wife or your homies call. One of your homies calls and, and you start talking to him in a distinctly different voice and with an entirely different vocabulary. So here's the meaning of code language for this phrase, Greater Babylon. Rome has an ancestor, and Rome's ancestor is Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon Babylon as a mother, and her mother is Babel, because the origin story of idolatry started with Nimrod after the flood. The Tower of Babel was his development. Nimrod was a builder of cities and civilizations, but Genesis 10 tells us he was also a great hunter before the Lord, which made him a hunter of the souls of men and women. He tried to get to them first, before God got to them. So he constructed a luxury sky rise 
thousands of years before Elon Musk shot a Tesla with a dummy in it into outer space. And he did this because from his tower, he wanted to call down alien assistance, which he did then receive from demons who set up idolatry. So Nimrod leads the world of that day into the idolatry we recognize today as the Imperial Church of Rome. And because it starts there, it is the mother of the idolatry behind all of the other ancient world religions and all the other liturgical denominations. So this is your comparative religions class today. But from the standpoint of humanity, God sees sees all of this as infidelity and unfaithfulness to worship Him. And these are the mischievous kids spawned by the lady in red. One other item helps us pick this mystery out of history. Because third, third, this is number three, the scarlet harlot of imperial religion has murderous conduct. Verse 6, And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Her murder and martyrdom of true believers did not start with what we saw in chapter 14 of the 144,000 or back in chapter 11 with the two witnesses. I mean, it goes all the, all the way back. I mean, it, actually, it functions today in the persecution in Islamic republics, Hindu states, and communist regimes that kill their converts. It goes all the way back to Baptists and Anabaptists who were killed by the reformers. It goes all the way back to Wycliffe's Lollards, the preachers in England who were killed by King Henry and Bloody Mary and Catholics. It goes all the way back to Rome, the Roman Empire, who killed their Christians. And it goes all the way back to Abel and Cain, because the devil is a murderer and his children follow their father. It says they get drunk with the blood of the saints. That means they get addicted to the cruelty, just like every serial killer. Pick up a medallion in Rome, and it acknowledges the Queen of Heaven as God. Many Catholics believe Mary is a co-redemptrix with Christ. It is part of Catholic dogma that she herself was conceived without sin. That is why they refer to her as full of grace. It is part of Catholic dogma that this woman riding this beast had a bodily assumption, meaning she ascended to heaven just like Jesus did. So when we talk about this mystery... We're talking about a counterfeit religion as a feeder system for a counterfeit kingdom. And it is a feeder because those seven sacraments enshackle your soul from the cradle to the grave, from baptism to last rites, and then your children and their children from the cradle to the grave, from baptism to last rites. And you can see exactly what God thinks of that system right here and how he will one day judge it. In verse 16, he does judge it, but without getting his own hands dirty, because he uses the ten kings, who have finally had it up to here. They finally had enough to to consume her. Mystery Babylon rides on the beast, because the beast is a man possessed by Satan, who sets himself up as God. And once again, he seeks to build cities and civilizations that reach up to heaven to call down involvement from outer space. That is why, and this is our second point for study, the greatest sin in the Bible is pride. 
That was the original sin of Satan, placing himself as equal to God on the way to building an angelic civilization in the cosmos without God. Do not position yourself that way, or God will put you in your place. So the woman whose road dog is the beast will be all up into a new inquisition and enforced conversion. Fourthly, that leads us, and this is number four, to the fact that imperial religion has a monstrous companion. Look at verse 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carrieth her, and hath the seven heads and ten horns. Ten kings ruling from, in the immediate context of verse 9, a city built on seven mountains, as Rome actually is, and which is the seat of the Pope of the Imperial Church. So watch, because we see this lady in red as a companion, and first, she has a companion, first letter A. That companion comes for a purpose. Verse 8, The beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. So the human being used by Satan to be the Antichrist was on planet Earth once, was not at the time that John wrote, but will have a second coming. Only instead of coming down from above like Jesus does, he'll rise up from below. Satan always wants to ascend. Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Verse 18, And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And I wonder too, because second, we, this letter B, we see that companion comes to a place. Verse 9, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is. The other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Okay, watch. Five are fallen. Nimrod slash Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babel slash Babylon, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Cyrus, king of Persia, Alexander, king of Greece. And those are the five heads that the devil has used to rule the world since Babylon, Nimrod. And one is, so those are all gone, they're dead, but one is at that time, that was Caesar, emperor of Rome. And one that will come will continue for seven years, and that's the Antichrist. So now let me make a statement that will solve the problem you will otherwise have uh, understanding the next verse. Uh, this is a mystery that is also connected to the mystery of iniquity. So the mystery of godliness is that Jesus Christ was God with skin on. I mean, how, how can Jesus be God in heaven and incarnate God on earth? Well, that mystery is explained by the Trinity. How can God in heaven send God the Holy Spirit... On God the Son at his baptism. Well, that mystery is explained by the Trinity. By the same token, the mystery of iniquity is that the Antichrist, possessed by Satan, is the devil with skin on. And between the dragon, Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they form a mystery of a satanic trinity. Now, understanding that, this is letter C. We see how that companion comes for a period. Verse 11. 
and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, and of the seven, and goeth into perdition. Okay, we've talked about the hard turn that the Antichrist takes in the middle of the tribulation, his final manifestation, the last three and a half years, called the Great Tribulation, grows out of that seventh and final empire, which starts when he comes on the scene as a man of peace. And yet he is that man of sin who is revealed the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, because, this is letter D, that companion comes with a people. Verse 12, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. I mean, usually kingdoms are waiting for a new reigning monarch, but here we have ten heads of state, held in reserve for their kingdoms, and the Antichrist will assign them their kingdoms. Well, what for? Verse 13, these have one mind, because these have one mind, and they shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So the Antichrist will accumulate national commitment to his one world rulership. Caesar got the Senate to add a lifetime tribunate and indefinite consulship So he became the first emperor of Rome. He was consul, he was tribune, and he was imperator all at once. So this is how the Antichrist ends the separate republics and inaugurates his imperial rule. For what reason? Well, because in the final analysis, we watch, and this is letter A, Letter E, that companion comes with a passion. Verse 14, these shall make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb shall overcome them at the battle of Armageddon. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called, that's church age saints, who have been raptured, but we come back with him, and chosen the Jewish saints who have died and come back with him, and faithful the tribulation saints who have either been martyred and come back with him or have endured to the end. The beast straight out of hell will think that he can overthrow the lamb coming straight out of heaven. So who let the dogs out? He does. The beast does. And the only thing that stands against him ascending to deity is the defiance of the lamb. Now, why is this such truth for our end times? After all, we're not at the very end yet. But this is truth for our end times. One more thing, I'll let you go because this is our final point for study. Now is the only time you have to work on your eternal rewards. If you fail to drink the cup of salvation, you will taste the cup of wrath. And your sin will either be pardoned in Christ or punished in you in hell. And the only way you can escape punishment is by trusting Jesus. There's only one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Trust Jesus right now for eternal life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Fathers, I come before you today. Lord, you know how I've prayed over this passage. And uh, it really, it blows our minds. Uh, but, but Lord, I preached it the best I could, best I know how. I mean, if I could jump in someone's skin right now who is unsaved and make the move for them, I'd do it. But you didn't send me to do that today. You sent me to tell people how you love them, how you have provided in advance because you've proven that love by sending your son to die for them, for their sins, in their place, 
taking their hell, tasting death for them so they can be forgiven and given eternal life. So God, I pray, this is the age of grace. This is the dispensation of grace. Give us grace today to call out to you. To call on the name of Jesus because he is the one who drank our cup of wrath to the very bottom. So help someone today take the cup of salvation right now. You can do that today. I mean, you can, you can do that today. Will you just pray with me right now and say, Save me, Lord Jesus. God, save me for Jesus' sake. Jesus, I trust you today for eternal life. I'm trusting in your finished work on the cross, accomplished on my behalf. Jesus, I give you my life. And if you did pray that, well, then will you thank him for doing that and saving you today by coming forward and letting us help, help you start on your walk in the Spirit and your growth in Christ and if you're saved and you want to get baptized, or if you are a member of another church but you want to join here, or if you want to be discipled, or if you need any other spiritual help or assistance, then come here to the front. As soon as we get done, let us know, or call, text, or email us. I want to get you a copy of my book, Next Step for New Believers. Go ahead and stand. Let's have a word of prayer as we dismiss. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that, uh, Lord, you've given us a time, an opportunity, and a church where we can approach the word of God without fear and without favor. And we can just go through it as you have, as you have given it to us. And if we were going to start on the book of Revelation, there was no way we could end up not getting right here. But after we've gotten here, it makes so much sense. It explains everything about what you've done and what you're doing. It clears up for us the necessity of Christ dying on our behalf. It clears up for us the reason why you stay your hand in long-suffering and all the innocent children who die or all the innocent people who are killed or all the people who die because of accident or disease. Lord, it explains why you don't step in right now. Your grace, your long-suffering, all these things you desire to use to drive us to repentance in this dispensation of grace. But your suffering suffers long, but one day it will stop. And Lord, I pray that you would help us right now in the only time that we have to be getting eternal rewards, to, to be getting jewels for our crown as our testimony is used to, to lead someone else to the Lord and they get saved or to disciple someone and see them walk in faith. So God, be with us even this week after what we've seen today to help us do that. For we ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. If you need any spiritual help or assistance, please come here to the front. See you tonight at 5.30 for our Feed Your Soul prayer service and Awana for the kids. Stay in your Bible. Share the gospel. Love you. Have a great week. You're dismissed.